We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome back to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, I was uh, laughing with Jeannie about this the other day because this was totally unintentional. But Laker season ends. We record a pod called End of the Road or something like that. And we're like, all right, we're going to go on a little bit of a break. And we were only intending on it being for like a week. And we come back and we record one pod called Celtics in Cancun to celebrate the Celtics getting knocked out. And then we leave again for two and a half weeks. This was not planned, but this was a, a degree of unintentional pettiness, right? That that uh, even when I don't try, it somehow seeps through. But in the meantime, we had the NBA final series where Denver beat the Miami Heat four to one. And D, Denver went 16 and four in these playoffs and made light work of everyone. They were never down in a series. They were in control of every series that they won and won convincingly, man. Some what are your thoughts on the Denver Nuggets winning the championship? I'm, I mean, first of all, congrats to them. Um, clearly the best team of the playoffs. Clearly the best player of the playoffs in Nikola Jokic. Um, Jamal Murray showing a level of playoff fortitude that I think is super important as like a 16-game player. Um Murray hasn't been able, seemingly been able to put it together as like an 82 game player injuries and just the up and down nature of a full campaign and the fact that like the West is super deep at guard and him never making an all-star team or being an all NBA player. Those things are probably ideas to dissect if you're like a Denver fan and like run a Denver podcast. But he again showed that he has this level that he can access during the playoffs as a shot creator and he got rebounds too deep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Just a tennis games like against Miami team that can really heat you up on the ball. You know, he was able to handle the ball against them. Well, just like he's, he's just one of those guards too, man. That's just like, he's not overly big, but he's not small. Right. So he's like six, three, six, four, strong, sturdy, scrappy, competes real hard. Um, Yeah. Athletic enough. 
right? So he's not one of those guys that's going to boom on you all of the time with like his elevation. And he doesn't have this super highlight reel of dunks on a bunch of guys like a la Baron Davis or someone like that. But he's athletic and he's got um, just a super polished game. And, and so just congrats to to Denver. Um, I thought, not, not necessarily surprised me, but you don't win without being a good to really good defensive team. And I thought, um, and I thought that was the biggest question around Denver. And this is where I'll kick it to you too, Mike, is I thought this was the biggest question around Denver um, heading into to the playoffs. And they showed a, a floor defensively that is super important, I think, for any title contending team. Like if you dip below this floor, odds are you're not actually going to be a serious contender and I wondered where that floor was for Denver and that floor was higher than I think a lot of people including me probably thought heading into to the postseason and their ability to just lock in and defend and play high level team defense Mike I thought was critical to them winning the title some questions can only be answered in the postseason and Heading into the postseason for this, uh, I I needed to see, and I think a lot of people did, which is why a lot of people didn't actually pick Denver to win it all, needed to see defensively, not just how Jokic held up, but how the whole team did. And, you know, they were, what, 15th in the regular season. And I think that, you know, I'll credit both of you for this, And but Pete, you specifically have kind of mentioned that as the NBA is evolving, you know, maybe that regular season defensive rating number that has been so almost absolutist that a team yeah. has to be in the top 10, you know, other than like, I think one of the LeBron Cavs years when, you know, they clearly just were not taking it that seriously in the regular season and scoring was so easy for them the way that they were. Able. So, I mean, maybe in, in some ways that actually was a precursor, like, Hey, we can score so easily. We got love at the five. A lot of times spaced out. There's all the LeBron attacking the rim whenever he wants, you know, so that maybe that was a little bit of a, of a, a tease as to what was to come. But I still thought that because the Lakers beat the Nuggets twice in the regular season, um, including in the game when AD went out uh, with the injury in the first quarter against Jokic and Denver just didn't play. I saw, I mean, I've seen them in person four times a year, right? Like they did not play with the type of defensive focus um, that they did in this postseason, And I think that Jokic represents almost all of that because he was the first game against the Lakers, like he was so serious. It was a different dude, different dude from the guy that played against them in the bubble. Uh, and when he's locked into that degree and playing 44 minutes a game, which it seemed like he nearly was, Denver only had to basically play six guys. And then that's including Bruce Brown as their key bench player. And then Christian Brown, uh, Brown actually had some big moments in the finals, but didn't play in game four against the Lakers. So they got they got through almost a perfect postseason in terms of health and and maximizing the minutes for their starters that you don't see teams usually get to do. You usually need to go have at least something um, from another guy on that roster. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be difficult to replicate in that way. But to center on Jokic for a second, he's now in that age, right, where we see that it usually takes guys to meet the physical with the mental uh, at, you know, 27, 28, 29 those are often the, the championship years for like the big time stars. And that's where he is now. So if teams are going to want to win the title next year, what do you do with this guy? Uh, yeah. So that's, that's one thought that we can kind of leave out there. The other one that I've been having watching the finals is just thinking about 
a lot of the chatter, which, by the way, is is fair, I think, for the most part. But is Denver the best team in the last five years? You know, 16 and four in the postseason. And basically since that Warriors juggernaut, um, has there been another team? And I'm like, well, the Lakers went 16 and five um, in the mm-hmm. bubble. And a couple of those losses were sort of just, you know, the early one to Portland and Houston were just kind of feel out losses. You know, Denver battled a little. You had the AD, the, uh, the AD game winner. Then you had a Jimmy Butler game. But what have we learned since then about the teams that they had to play there? Well, look at Denver. You know, a couple key additions, but like that was a team that they beat four to one. How about Miami? I'm um, getting to the finals. How about Boston that was in the semis uh, in lost to Miami in that one, getting back to the semis this year? And I just think that the pandemic and the bubble itself just delegitimized what was really a great team. Um, that won mm-hmm. 17 straight Western Conference road games and that whenever they played LeBron and AD together, you know, for like, like and actually tried to win a game, barring game five against Miami, where, where Butler and the E just went nuts. They won like nobody touched that team um, after, when, as they got things together. And what does that tell us about what you have to put around LeBron and AD and what the Lakers did this season relative to the previous two? And then the larger question is, what does LeBron have left for another year? And yep. what was the difference between LeBron in that title push? A LeBron James that that was the thing that could beat a player like Jokic who couldn't protect the rim to that degree, but maybe didn't do so this this season or didn't do so this season, right? Didn't have that final lift. How much of that was the foot? So there are a lot of questions to me that have, that have come up while I'm watching these finals in accordance to the Lakers. And I won't go as far as Darius is to say congrats to Denver. Uh, thank, thankfully, I get to stick in my sideline reporter sort of focus face. Um, and I don't have to give <laughs> out I don't have to give out plaudits like that. I'll, I'll save that for you because, you know, I, I don't want to say that to Malone. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, that that whole like how do we look at this Lakers offseason vis-a-vis the Denver Nuggets, I think is an important topic to discuss. This, these were a playoffs for me that were going to reveal a lot of truth. And I think that they did. And I think that one of them is that Denver is in a different weight class than us. That's one thing. Like I really like this Lakers team and I don't want the way that it ended with the sweep against Denver to cloud a guy like D'Angelo Russell comes to mind, right? Where he was super helpful in getting to the point that we did. Then he had a bad series against Denver. I don't want to over index on just the series against Denver. That's, said, if we are collectively that much smaller than Denver, we will not beat them. And so how to build that on a team with LeBron, you know, talking retirement, this is something the the day that that happened, you brought up the old thing about once you start talking about retirement. I know this was my thought about Kobe specifically, is that once you start talking about retirement, you're probably ready to retire. Now, that's not universally true, but it shows a transition in your mind that things start to go a different direction. And mm-hmm. LeBron's played 20 seasons. Like he's been in the NBA more than half his life, basically. And that idea of being close to or at the end, like that's a real idea. And who knows if it'll be this off season, like I'm skeptical about that sort of thing, but that's now in the dialogue. It's now in the lexicon of the LeBron James conversation. And in the same way that Mike is saying, what does he have left? All these variables in terms of his, his health, how that played, played into things. Those are factors that we have to judge. And as Mike so poignantly said about the nuggets in terms of some things you just have to see, this is a bunch of speculation. 
right now around mm-hmm. LeBron to me. Like we're going to have to see how much that he has left and, and we could forecast as much as we want, but I'm super interested in seeing how it plays out more than I am interested in what my own thoughts are about how it might play out. If that makes sense. As I'm thinking about this, let me pitch this as a question sort of to you guys. And so let's just assume that the LeBron that we saw, who, by the way, just went for what, 40 um, right. in the closeout and almost played 48 games. So it's not like there was nothing left. Yeah, He's still, as he said uh, to McMenamin, I think that he's still better than 95% of the players in the NBA. True. And you know? it's true. Yeah. So, yeah, true. It's a fact. So, but as we just saw with Jokic, there is a difference between 95% and 1%. Mm-hmm. And you have to have somebody in the top three. And I think AD is somewhere in between those two, by the way. I think AD is in like the top 2% or 3%, like whatever Mm -hmm. that number is, where essentially top 10, you know, eight, like playoff AD, you cannot name nine players uh, that I want more than him uh, in that kind of a setting. And for, for reasons that we've been over many, many times in this pod that Darius wrote about for Lakers.com recently, as we do these player capsules. But the question to get back to what I'm trying to get to is, so let's assume that LeBron is going to drop off a little more, um, a, a few, the regular season minutes, maybe down a little bit more, you know, what is it that is needed to make up for some of that alongside Anthony Davis next year? Like, what is the thing? It, what is it a, is it a, a thing like size Pete that you mentioned? Is it ball handling? Is it defense? Like, like what are the, what, what is that? And, and can one player, you know, can one player or a group of players um, amass that? Cause uh, I think that there are answers, but it's important that they're the right answers. Yeah, you know, yes. it's, it, it, like they can win again, but it's going to be the, the needle has to be threaded pretty delicately. I totally agree with that. And let's use that as an early segue to break. And that's exactly what we'll talk about on the other side. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
So in the context of this Lakers offseason, I want to bring Austin and Rui into the conversation with respect to what do we need to put around LeBron and AD to win? They're the two guys that are restricted free agents. If you listen to Rob Polenka's comments in the exit interviews, he really emphasized continuity and just a lot of messaging around like, we like the team and we want to bring a lot of the guys back. And I think that Austin and Rui are right at the top of that. And so- Pete, can, I, can I say one, just to jump please. in on the continuity thing for one second. So- the first question that I asked, because I asked the first question at press conference, was specifically about continuity. So I think sometimes now that doesn't mean that Rob Palenka, I think he answered absolutely what he thinks. And it is important. But it also kind of that also sort of framed, you know, how that discussion went. Whereas if it would ask you something else, he was leading. You know the what witness. I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. It's, you're leading the witness, so, like Darius said. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which which I do tend to do intentionally. Um, sure. But but like it's. Both things are true. Like, I do think it's important, but also I think just because he, the like the first quote that you're going to hear out of that starts with that, um, it doesn't always mean that that's where things are going to go. So I just want to throw that in there. No, and of course, and they would be remiss to be like, oh, we like the team and we're not going to pay attention to any opportunities that might pop up, pop up, any teams that want to move up in the draft where we could get a role player and move down. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, maybe that's, it's a good s- starting point to start from that. And that's why I don't want to put it, push it too far past Austin and Rui in that respect, in that I think at least both guys will be back based on how we've communicated about them, based on their contract details, based on how they played in the playoffs. And so I wanted to make a point about kind of getting more into the nitty gritty of the positions and like kind of what guys do we need? Because that's the fun part of the season that we're about to enter is I think that we've got that group of four between LeBron, AD, Austin and Rui. And when I think about what is the type of player that can fill that out, I think that's a super important place to start. From watching the Denver series and in game four specifically, we were up at halftime by a lot and then they made a big run and a lot of possessions ended up on offense with Dennis, who was starting for D'Lo in that final game. And it was not having just a fifth guy who can kind of do to be a two way guy because Dennis was helping us on defense, but offensively they were closing out to him really well. I think that was a big part of Denver's defensive leap in the playoffs. And Dennis is a small guy with kind of a slow load jumper that those shooting windows closed very quickly for him. And he was just having a hard time scoring. And so I think that we kind of need to reverse engineer from who is the fifth guy to put alongside those four guys. Now, D'Angelo Russell is the most obvious of that. And he was super helpful in uh, a lot of the, the games and series up, leading up to the Denver series. In the regular season, he had one of the better plus minuses on the whole team. Um But come playoff time, I think it comes back into that weight class type of conversation. But the point that I wanted to make, Dean, is that if Rui is one of those guys, the five spot, what are you looking for a starting center? Or what I think we need more is to replace that Dwight type of role from 2020, that guy who comes in in the second to start second quarter or late in the first that wraps around that plays a little bit with just the LeBron groups, a little bit with just the AD groups, but rarely with both and rarely both close. Cause I think it goes back to this point with Rui. If you've got LeBron and AD and another big guy, Rui cannot play in the closing lineup 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like he can play the two spot. So I think that we've got like our closing front court or close to it. If Rui comes back kind of set and it's more, I'm looking more at that two, three type position, that swingman type, and then a backup type of five that can help alleviate some of the uh, physicality asks on AD, the defensive asks, things like that. So that's kind of a very broad overview of the kind of guys that I'm looking for. Yeah, it's super interesting. The idea of Rui as a closer doesn't necessarily mean that Rui is your best option as a starter. Mm-hmm. So we talk about these four these four players. Rui didn't start any of the playoff games until like the very end of the playoffs. Right. Again. The last game. And and just like Dennis, right? And so Rui was I thought Rui did an excellent job being a reserve front court player, sort of in the mold that like the Bucks used Bobby Portis in in their own way right and, and that would sort of be an apt comparison considering darvin came from the bucks coaching staff and that's a nice analog i feel like like a scoring forward who can play off of the team star players can hit shots can create some offense of his own sure. release valve sort sort of guy um has some defensive potential um there's a lot there to like base basically it's it's super interesting to me because Finding the right sort of player who can both be an 82-game player and a 16-game player is tricky. And finding that player who can be a starter and be someone who starts and closes is even trickier. Like, you brought up D'Angelo Russell, but another player who was integral to the starting lineup throughout the regular season, at least, was Jared Vanderbilt. Yep. And Vanderbilt was a major player during the first round of the playoffs. And then in the second round of the playoffs against the Warriors, he had some high moments. But his utility started to fall off more and more and more as the playoffs went on. And by the Denver series, he was a token rotation player if he was in the game at all. And like Vanderbilt is a guy who he's under contract. Right. Like he should be back and he makes like four million dollars a season. Like he's he's a guy who should be playing and he should be in the rotation. But accounting for him as an 82 game player versus accounting for him as a 16 game player and building out your roster. These are super interesting conversations to me. And so like we get back to this idea of of what do you need around LeBron James and, and, and Anthony Davis? Well, if LeBron and Rui are playing a huge bunch of minutes as your forwards and they're playing next to Anthony Davis, are either of those guys like the wing defensive stopper that you want on like a high level, like a Brandon Ingram type of guy or a Paul George type of guy, right? Like a rangier type of forward who is not necessarily like a sturdy Kawhi type because like, honestly, like I trust trust quote right as much as you possibly can trust like a a bigger wing type in in lebron or Rui or even ad to like match up with a Kawhi or a jimmy butler those guys are not as slithery they're not as rangy right like they, they they are power wings and the lakers have power wings to counter those guys but there's a different type of wing that yep. vando has been very good at defending and the guy like, you give the ball I'm to, try- the guy that's yeah, dancing it, around on the perimeter, beating guys off the dribble. So some of the things that I've always looked at around LeBron and AD are like motor, 
offensive feel and like defensive that doggedness that you want defensively and then like shooting and like threading that needle is tricky man when you've got this front court talent that that you really want to invest in so i i'm just thinking about this in the context of all the conversations we had last offseason right where we were like well <laughs> the lakers definitely need a major trade you know to overhaul the roster and X, XYZ. And, and it's hard to even envision a certain level of, of competition until they balance things out. And then even to start the season, right, mm -hmm. it still wasn't there. And so that's the, the really good news for them is that like what they have, let's say that they just mostly run it back uh, and it's Austin and it's Rui. And then it's, it's some, you know, maybe half of the other guys that they bring back. And it's a similar build. It's a similar concept. I think that you have to separate the regular season and the postseason when to a degree when you're thinking about roster building. And so it's right now coming off a playoff series. Right. It's very it's very harsh to a player like a Russell or like a Vanderbilt to be like, oh, well, that guy couldn't play um, in crunch time of the Western Conference finals against the best team in the league. Right. You know, in, in every level, because those guys were really good up until the point of that. And so that makes us think now, well, if you're actually going to win it all. You know, then then you have to have eight players that can absolutely not be taken off the floor. And that's true. But you don't have to have that final answer when you start the season. You just have to have a roster that makes a lot of sense together and that can win regular season games. Uh, and the players like Vanderbilt, like Russell, um, so we, like Reeves and Hachimura are in a different conversation because they held up even at the highest levels. But the guys that got that held up really well up to that point, to me, um, tell you a lot about what you have to do to get yourself in a better position to make a playoff run. And that's the other part. Like the Lakers were the seventh seed. They had to go on the road. Uh, and, and I, you know, was, was there like on the plane in that, that in its own right starts to wear uh, in a different way from when you enter this, when you enter a playoff series, like when I first came to the Lakers where they were the number one seed or at least the higher seed. And you knew that you had an extra home game with those fans in your pocket it just it just is a different way. So when you don't win game one or game two in Denver, there's a different kind of a mental. Anyway, I'm, I'm saying a lot of things, but to, to get back to the roster building part of this, I think it's almost as simple as they need like one more really viable perimeter option and one more really viable big man option. Yes. And and that can be in I could you could give me different type of player archetypes, like one guy that would work who's retired now, but like a Marcus all. You know, now those guys are hard to find, but like a, a space five who can hold up well defensively, um, even if he can't switch the best, that's fine because he gives you the spacing on offense and, and can protect the rim to some extent. And if you if you hit a team that um, that you need to that's going to switch a lot. Hey, guess what? Anthony Davis is going to be your center in a lot of that's those right. moments anyway. Uh, perimeter wise, it could be a guy that's just a bigger number two that you can then have next to Austin Reeves on the occasions that you don't want it to be Austin and D'Lo or Austin and Dennis, where you're just not getting that type of combination of size and ball pressure that certain teams in this case, really only Denver, like Golden State couldn't make, couldn't expose this problem. Memphis couldn't really expose this problem, but Denver did. So that guy, could it be Max Christie? I mean, he's going to be, he's, he's still 19, but that, like the archetype of that player, I really yep. like as a solution there. And we'll see. I'm not, I'm not, I'll just say this. I'm not dismissing, the possibility that Max can make a big rise, but you would like for there to be one other guy there too. And so that's the, that's the thing we're going to spend weeks talking about this off season. And by the way, the draft is next week. Uh, yep. <laughs> the, draft, the draft is on Thursday. Uh, so can that player 
right at number 17 and, and there's a lot of big wings um, in this type of a draft. I'm starting to do a little bit more um, talking and a little bit more you know, figuring stuff out with the scouts. So like there that's one opportunity. Then free agency comes. But even if those answers aren't here, guys, it, this is my point. Like even if those answers aren't here in the next month through some combination of the draft and free agency, like they're the roster that the Lakers have is going to be a really good one to start the regular season. And then it will become clearer and clearer as the season goes on what that final piece might should be. And if the Lakers can just be in a pretty good position standings wise, then they have some assets um, yep. through which they can make either a consolidation trade or they can make they could plug a hole in a way or, or get a piece that might be uh, able to put them over the top. And it's just a wildly more uh, yeah. viable position to be in than, than even with LeBron going into 21 than yep. it was entering last season. Very much so. And I feel like last season was sort of an extreme version of the point that you're making here in that not all of it has to happen at once or over the course of the offseason. Now, would you rather have your fully formed team in at day one of training camp? Absolutely. But it doesn't have to be built all at once. And I think that we are, whether it's between the course of this offseason and the uh, and uh, going in all the way up to the trade deadline and, and the buyout market. I agree with your overall point of view that we need one viable perimeter guy. I think you could also make an argument for a different type of perimeter player in a in a ball handler. Um, but well, ultimately, can, yeah. can I can I pause you on that thought, please? If I'm, I I love Austin as a ball handler. I think you guys do too. If we're, could he not just be that guy that takes more ball handling late and then and then you get more size and shooting next so this to him totally- and LeBron in the wing? This you know what I'm could be and probably will be its own pod at some point. I tend to agree with you. Like, I don't think that the guy next to Austin Austin can be a guy with negative handles, right? Like just a shooter that can't really handle it all. But if he can do it a bit, sort of like put another combo guard next to Austin, I think that'd totally be enough. I don't think it needs to be a go-to number one you know, perennial all-star point guard that's going to get you. But we know the names that Lakers always get linked to. I would rather have the defense and level of physicality. And it's hard to get that. Like if you're talking about a physical ball handler, that's a number one option type of guy, that's a max player, you know, that yeah. I, I don't think that. And and can just be, and can be, to me, can be superfluous when you have LeBron and Austin and even yeah. AD. Whereas you can't like what we've seen, you have to some that whoever that other that other guy is has to be big enough, has to get back in transition on defense, yes. has to be able to shoot threes. Like and I don't important. think that you can get a ball handler right that also does those things. Whereas I know that I can get enough ball handling from from those other guys that I just mentioned. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Mike. I also think that a transition more into the post for LeBron is a way for him to maintain some of the value of him being a ball handler that it's been in the past. We've got all sorts of uh, pent up conversations to be had. But uh, D, where are you at on sort of the the basic archetypes of the kind of guys that you feel like this this squad needs? I just don't have a straightforward answer for you. Like, I think that the three key players, like I love Rui and, and I think that he's certainly a part of the Lakers future, but he's like a tier 1.5 guy to me. Yeah. Whereas Austin, LeBron, and AD are, are tier one guys to me. Like to me, there's no guarantee that Rui is a closing player necessarily. If, like, if I can further that point, had our season ended after the Golden State series, we may be having a different conversation about him because he wasn't a big part of that series. Well, also too, it's just like I said this to you guys a bunch offline. Um, but if the Lakers play the Suns, in the second round, 
is there or in the conference finals, right? Like say the Suns beat the Nuggets, right? Which seems ludicrous now since the Nuggets are the NBA champions. But let's just say that that's what happens. Do you think Vando gets like 15 minutes of playing time the entire series against the Suns? Because I don't. Mm. Vando is like a key defensive player that you probably see defending Devin Booker or right. or Kevin Durant, regardless right. of how he's impacting the Lakers offense. Because the Lakers, like, that's the level of offensive player on the wing that the Suns had versus what was needed against a Denver team that was different. Right. And and that speaks to your point about like tier one versus tier 1.5 type of thing is like Austin was translatable to every series. He had points where he played better than other times, but he figured out a way to get it done against all of them. But with most role players and that's what puts you in that like tier one type. Yeah. status. But most role players in most playoff series, you need different tools for different jobs against different teams. And that's sort of the nature of building out the rest of the roster. And Darius, I want to I just if you could emphasize this for me, though, where Austin got to and what he showed that he could do at that level is uh, like it's not like people didn't talk about him. Uh, it's not like people don't recognize how good he is. But I, ju- I just think that I want to reemphasize sort of to or get your point of reemphasis on the types of things that he can do while not hurting you defensively, um, at least even when being targeted, like it's just to me still gone, uh, maybe still undervalued, I guess is the way I would put it. Well, I will say that by the end of the Nugget series, a lot of the national discussion around Austin was like, oh my God, the Lakers have found a gem. And even to the point where it's just like the folks who maybe don't want the Lakers to succeed as much from their national perch. Right. What? That they're like, well, can the Lakers even afford to keep Austin? Yeah, that's what it turns because, to. It's right. like, oh, he's so good. He's going to be too expensive for them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Immediate pivot. The framing of that even reflects this idea of like, oh, my God, like Austin Reeves is a really good NBA player and the type of guy who can create a shot for his own, can play out of the pick and roll, can be an off ball player, is a smart cutter, is a smart passer, is a reliable defensive player and is just an all around like floor game type of guy who isn't taking much off of the table at all, even within the context of being a guy that is in the middle of sometimes the other team's game plan of trying to get at that guy. And Pete, that's exactly what I was wanting from Darius and, and for you to expand on just the the basketball player of Austin, not the story, not the rise from Wichita State in a small town in Arkansas, not the like, oh, the Lakers have a gem. Oh, what's the contract going to be like? Yeah, yeah. The things that he does as a basketball player is what I'm talking about, which I think are are sort of underrated um, in in like what it takes to win basketball games. And that is part of the reason why I'm so excited he got that Team USA invite, just to marvel a bit at at the story just a little bit longer, Mike. I'm sorry, but the I can't think of another player that went from undrafted to starting guard who played well in every series uh, on a Western Con- or on a conference finalist in either conference um, that was that level of player by year two as an undrafted guy. And then he gets a Team USA invite. And that right there, like so much about Austin to me has been about mentality in that. Remember when I would lament his games where he'd go one for two from the field and it's like, bro, you're too good to just be taking two shots. Like, and he, I, I totally get it, right? The politics of it, you're the undrafted guy. You're on a team with a zillion ball handlers that are all going to take possessions and things like that. But so much about Austin mentality-wise, for me, la- even last year, shoot the ball, Austin, right? Was like, yo, you're really good. I hope you realize how good you are and go like step into that 
that skin. You know what I mean? Step into that new person that comes into a season not fighting for a role in the rotation the way that he was last season, right? We were talking, oh, where does he fit in amongst Lonnie Walker and Kendrick Nunn and all the guys that we had to start last season? That's not going to ha- be the conversation next year at all. And to me, D, it's more about like, yo, you realize how good you are, right? Like yeah. you're this productive because you're really good. Go get it, man. And I think that that is going to be the big stories of year three from Austin. Yeah. And so this is where I'll I'll zoom out a little bit more and put Austin back into that conversation. We were talking about tier one versus tier 1.5 or tier two or two or tier three, right? The Lakers hope to get con- contributions up, up and down their roster, probably through their 11th or 12th player, right? And, and for an 82 game season, that that's sort of what you want. You're not going to play 12 guys every night, but you need to be, you need to feel comfortable, I think, as as a head coach playing up to 12, 12 And this players. is where the Wenyans become super helpful. Super, impo- super important, super important. And we'll get way deep into these rabbit holes like as 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 of the offseason progresses. But the thing about Austin, LeBron, and AD is that they allow you to play a bunch of different types of lineups because of their skill sets and what they can do. Like Pete, you were just talking about LeBron potentially being a post player versus potentially being a wing player. Like his wing utility was still there at the end of the Denver series. Um, Maybe not to the level that he was when the Lakers won the championship three years ago, but still at a very high and, and effective level. When I think about Austin though, I'm like, okay, well, can he be like a more of a lead guard type? Yes, he can. Does he have to be that in order to be a successful bas- basketball no. player? Absolutely not. And so can you play a smaller point guard type next next to Austin Reeves? You definitely can. But what does that mean for your fifth guy? It probably means he needs to be like a bigger wing type in order to have right. some defensive versatility that can take on a matchup of a of a shooting guard who maybe you want to lock down or a small forward. So LeBron doesn't have to guard that guy or even a power forward. Right. Because LeBron is better suited to guard a low usage wing in that scenario. And that's where, what do you need around these guys is that's why I don't have a straightforward answer for you yet. So I have a straightforward question for you guys. Then can LeBron still defend the three? Yeah. So this is the regular season versus playoffs question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Playoffs. Sure. You know, for how long though? Is this like a, you're a sign, like I could see him like, would you want him chasing around Kawhi Leonard for a series? No, no. Uh, but like, can he, can he do it enough uh, to like here? Here's the separation. I don't, what I, what I fear in what is not going to be there is the transition defense. Like even in the postseason, you're going to be a slow team. That's right. Yeah. And so like, why was Miami in some ways better? It's, did it seem like they, they won the game? They're better, better able to hang. Well, they, Busted ass in transition defense, yeah, uh, and they had ball pressure guards to sort of bother some of some of Denver's perimeter guys a little bit. Now, but they didn't have enough, obviously, in the ways where the Lakers did um, in terms of handling Jokic and the, the, the two man game with Murray and all that. But you know, I I want to build if I can build in a second part of this question for Darius um, because that's a that's a great one, Pete, to pose. You know, my whole thing was shooting, and I've been trying to. Not reconsider, but I'm I'm trying to understand how the league is evolving, and, and even what we saw with Denver this year. And and I still, if you had to give me a guy to put next to LeBron and AD um, to get through the whole thing, um, I I would still like want to go in the direction of a defender who can shoot some threes as opposed to a great shooter that can't play defense. But 
just with LeBron and AD themselves and the way the teams are going to play against them. And if LeBron is not going to hit threes, which he didn't hit threes um, except for a couple of games and really for much of the season, like that, the spacing and all that. And we're talking about another big, well, what if that big can't shoot? Like that's just a question that I'm trying to, to reimagine in my own mind um, in figuring out what the roster fits are going to be and where it gets a little bit more tricky when we talk about LeBron as more of a big, you know, and when we talk about Anthony Davis as the center um, right. and it, what he's going to do from a shooting standpoint. And I mean, it does help that Austin shot the shit out of the ball from yep. three um, in the postseason. And <laughs> yep. like Russell Rui was there as a shooter at Rui shot the ball great from there. But, you know, that's that. It's just something that I'm trying to contend. Take forget the other three guys. If te- even if those guys are hitting shots, teams are still going to just pack the paint. Um, in a certain way against LeBron and AD. And so what does that mean in terms of shooting and roster building and everything? And this is where I push back a little bit on your point, D, about the, how the skill sets of LeBron, AD, and Austin can uh, allow you to play a bunch of different ways. I think the shooting is a big factor sure. fighting against that. And even more so is like a level of defensive versatility in that like I think LeBron at the three is a very sparing type of idea. And that basically defensively are four and five to close are locked in, right? And so I think that having a bigger three, which we do in Rui, in Vando, I think we've kind of got that spot kind of covered a little bit more. And and so that's why when uh, a lot of the debates about like, what do the Lakers need? Like, I do want a bigger player than AD that is a defender that has some physicality that can protect the rim. But the real guy that I'm looking for, I think because of how things I think are defensively kind of locked in on the roster is more of that swingman two, three type of guy. So curious your thoughts on that. To Mike's question, first of all, it's not about what, and to your question too, Pete, it's not about what LeBron can or can't do to me. It's like what the ask is. How are you building your team in order to accommodate the ask? Because you can build your team a certain way where guess what? LeBron's going to have to do it. Because if he doesn't do it, the Lakers are going to fail. Right. That would be a mistake to build the team that way. Yeah. Yes, it would be. And so my point is, is like, we should be looking at solutions that extend even beyond Rui. Because you can't ask Rui either to go Mm -hmm. chase around some of these like more mobile small forwards. If your swing two, three guy is like, and this is where, this is why I'm saying that LeBron and AD do allow a certain amount of defensive versatility, but they also lock you in in certain ways too, that the other guys can't just be anything. It used to be exactly. that those guys could be anything. That's right. And, and That's it exactly would be my fine. Point. And, yep. and so, but so, so you're like, oh, well, I've got a straightforward question for, for you. And guess what? I'm still Barry Sandersing you a little <laughs> bit, right? Like, uh-huh. you could get in the backfield a That's little right. bit here, Pete, because I could tell you based off of give me the final roster and I could sort of build out a rotation for you. I could sort of tell you what ideas I want within these these players like i said i could totally see a smaller guard playing next next to austin in a closing lineup even if the small forward is a rangier sort of in between six six and six nine guy who has some defensive versatility because to your question earlier can lebron james play small forward full like like full time sure if the small forward that he has to guard is dylan brooks sure 
And right. by guarding, well, you mean right helping off I heavily mean in as the paint. a help player yep, and as yep. someone whose defensive responsibilities are different. If yeah, and, and the that's two different th- in the playoffs in the regular season too, right? It just like if you're just trying to scheme versus if you're just trying to get through a night. And really, the defensive kind of player that fits that description is Jared Vanderbilt. It's but it, like the salute, the simplest, but in some ways furthest away solution is Vando is capable of making wide open threes, like. Fairly regularly. Sure. Do I think LeBron could have defended Michael Porter Jr. for an entire series? Yes, I do. I do. Yeah. The fact is, too, though, is that the Lakers actually didn't necessarily have the right front court combination to account for Jokic in a way where yeah. LeBron was able to defend Porter Jr. He was sometimes defending Jokic. He was sometimes in help situations. And this is where that versatility to me still does exist. Mm -hmm. It just depends on what the actual ask is. And is LeBron going to guard the other team's best offensive wing wing player who is a primary ball handler and initiator now that should not be his role but that's different than saying can he play small forward full-time defensively because against 80 percent of the league he probably can right And, and so it's like this is these are the questions of team building to me and it goes way beyond just like looking at two or three positions or players this is where my my opinion on LeBron hasn't changed from where it was to start last season. And we had this LeBron conversation and I'm not as concerned about what position that he lines up in and like sort of who he defends. And because he can LeBron is so smart, he can figure all that stuff out. Or he can go to the coach and say, hey, if I'm going to be on this guy, then help's got to come from here. And what but what I know isn't going to necessarily be able to be there is the is the overall part of the game and the running back on defense and just the energy. And so that's why I'm even at the yep. expense of spacing. Uh, I need energy. And that's what they got with Vando uh, and with Rui Hachimura to an extent. Like I need those types of guys to get LeBron through a regular season. And Pete, how many months did the Lakers not have that last year? Yeah. Like uh, most of them. Most of it. Yep. Most of it. And so, so this is like, this is now making me think slightly. And it, well, well, hold on a second. So if, if, LeBron, if we're flanking LeBron with those types of dudes, you know, more throughout the regular season, then then maybe there is a little bit more that he can and he can rest some as opposed to being coming back from a foot injury heading into the postseason because that's, that's a great really point. what he needs. Like that's what a great he point. needs is to get his body um, a buildup and a break heading into the postseason and not a ramp up into the postseason. Yes. I would have loved to see us on even ground with Denver in terms of fatigue, like throughout the season, right? It was two total uh, polar opposites in that respect and that Denver played great. And this is part of what they earned, right? This is not like, oh, it's so unfair. It's the beds that we made for ourselves, right? But Denver put themselves in a position where they could wind down the last month of the season and then ramp back up again and be in one of the better positions physically that they could be in. Whereas the Lakers were scratching and clawing there in a way that I do think it showed itself in that final, in in that uh, Western Conference finals. But congrats to the Denver Nuggets on a great playoff run. They're going to be around for a minute. We're going to be talking about them for a while and how to match up with them. We'll be back. It'll be released either this weekend or on Monday. Going to do a draft preview with the great Mike Garcia. um, And we'll go over some of the the prospects coming into this draft. Lakers have the highest pick they've had since the Lonzo draft in 2017. So that'll be fun. And yeah, we'll be back then. Good to be back. Uh, But until next time, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game.
seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. 